Jeff got stuck in the Ford, got stuck with the Chevron stuck when the Dodge showed up. But the Dodge got stuck in the tractor rut, which eventually pulled out the Ford with some difficulty. Howdy there. I'm Matt McKinley, and we're burning daylight. Good morning, folks. How's everybody doing today? It's about 5.30 here in western Nevada. I just got done feeding horses, and I'm headed to the old feed yard. Uh, holy shit, you guys have been awesome. Uh, the first episode kind of exploded overnight, and uh, there's like 160 people that listen to it, and uh, that's pretty fucking awesome. So thank you all for uh, support, the likes, the shares, and all that good stuff. Uh, I appreciate it. Keep them coming, and I'll try to keep bringing you some entertaining content. Um, I recorded a segment yesterday, and then it uh, got lost or something. I'm, I'm, you're gonna have to bear with me on while I get this recording stuff down. Uh, I've never edited a second of audio before two days ago. I've never really recorded anything other than on Boxer to my college buddies, and that's just mostly dick jokes and uh, making fun of our uh, Jew friend Rob. And uh, I'm not anti-Semitic, uh, for all of you who are wondering, but my buddy Rob is a Jew, and uh, he is really an easy target to give shit to, not because he's a Jew, but the Jewish thing doesn't hurt in the shit-talking. Um, so, there's that, um, so, I, uh, it's gonna be, uh, kind of a rocky road, uh, until I get this, uh, this recording and the format all dialed in, but I'm glad you guys are enjoying it, I've had a lot of good feedback, uh, had a fella that even, uh, was inspired to buy a Trump rope because of the podcast, so, uh, that's pretty awesome, uh, we got listeners in, uh, Canada. Uh, so, eh, what's that all about? But, uh, that's pretty awesome. Uh, a lot, a lot of listeners in Texas and, uh, Colorado. Uh, a few in California throughout the Great Basin. Had a couple in Missouri, Kansas. Uh, they're pretty cool. So, uh, thank you guys for, uh, thank you guys for everything. And, uh, we'll keep, we'll keep rocking along. So this segment that I recorded yesterday and it, and it uh, got left out, but I had, I had read an article while I was taking my morning dump, and uh, Justin Bieber had uh, challenged Tom Cruise to a, an MMA match, and um, I'm not sure if I would pay to watch that, not not because of the premise, but just because. Uh, I think Tom Cruise would beat the fuck out of uh, Justin Bieber, and it would be over very quickly, so I don't know if it'd be worth the the money to pay for it. I'd still watch, don't get me wrong, I just don't know if I'd pay for it. Um, Yeah, Tom Cruise does all these action movies, and uh, I think he does a lot of his own stunts, so he's probably trained in some sort of martial arts and or hand-to-hand fighting, and... I honestly know nothing about the Biebs except uh, a lot of younger girls really love him and a lot of dudes really hate him. 
and he's got more money than God. That's about all I know about Bieber. So he maybe he uh, maybe he could take Tom Cruise. I don't know. But anyway, I like this idea. As I've mentioned before, I'm I'm pretty libertarian, so I am very anti-government spending because uh, taxation is theft and tax money. Government spending is just the theft of our our money in the form of a tax. But uh, that can be a conversation for later. But anyway, so I'm heavily opposed to government spending except for this one program. And it doesn't exist, but I think it should. We pump a bunch of money into building little octagons for people to duke it out in. And uh, there'll be public property... No, uh, as soon as you enter the cage, you waive all rights to sue any and everybody. And, uh, so all these, uh, all these, like, Antifa douchebags and equally douchey are the Proud Boys and whatnot. Uh, instead of, like, having mob warfare in the, the streets of Berkeley or wherever, wherever else it is, uh, we just throw them... You call out. Whoever you want to call out, you bring them into the cage, and they'll, these will be all over the United States. They'll be like, uh, they'll be like, uh, drinking fountains. Just every corner, there's a, there's a, an octagon next to a drinking fountain. Maybe by, uh, maybe by a payphone too, since we're going in the Wayback Machine. Uh, but anyway, I would support government spending on that type of project, and, uh, yeah, instead of having a bunch of riots and a bunch of snarky, back-and-forth, passive-aggressive, uh, keyboard warrior bullshit, now, get in the ring, three rounds, one-minute rounds each, because, let's face it, nobody, very few people are gonna have the stamina to go more than three full minutes of fighting, so... Either uh, somebody's going to get knocked out real quick. I, I highly doubt anybody's going to get submitted because uh, I, I doubt anybody. There's very many people that actually know how to do that shit. So, um, or most, more than likely is it's going to end with both people uh, about to die with their hands on their knees and nobody really got hit. So I think it's a brilliant idea. And, uh, I'm going to start the segment of who you want to, who do you want to call out to get in the octagon? I, uh, yesterday my choice was Jim Acosta from CNN. And, uh, it has nothing to do so much with his politics as it is his snarky, uh, like, uh, very, uh, what is the word, um, condescending attitude, he just, he, he acts like he is so much better than everybody he's around, and because of that, he would be the one I wanted to fight yesterday, today is, oh, I'm gonna think on that, but I, I'm, I'm gonna call somebody else out into the octagon, and, uh, I also think I could beat the fuck out of Jim Acosta. Um, but that, that'd be my guy. Um, if you got any good ones that you, uh, 
that you want to call out, send them to me, and uh, if they make me laugh, I will, uh, I will, I will read it on this show and uh, give you, give you a little shout out. So, anyway, I'm pulling into work. We're getting ready to do our morning meeting. I will, uh, I will catch up with you guys here in a little bit. Well, folks, today I'm going to be riding Lori. Let me go catch her right now. She is... How about the, the handiest horse I have on hand at the moment? So, we got a bunch of cattle to move today. and So, I'm going to ride her because she's going to work the best for me at the moment. Lori, how are you this morning? Well, my little Lori mare has been working pretty damn fantastic this morning. Uh, we just got done check weighing some heifers. And uh, for check weigh, for all of you who are unaware, we, uh, we bring the whole pin and we're just trying to monitor their growth. And uh, we, so we'll take a group or a bunch or a draft, depending on what part of the the world you're from uh, of so many so many head and then we'll run them across the scale get a weight and then we'll take them home so we just got done weighing them and I'm in the process of moving cattle back to their home pen and uh, yeah, little Lori has been working like a like a champ so that's always uh, always makes your day nice so I've been trying to tell this story for uh, most of the morning and I either my recording shuts off or some other something or other. But anyhow, my wife uh, sent me this, uh, or she tagged me in a post in the comment section. And it was from, I believe it was from Lyon County, ne Lyon County Nevada, uh, their Facebook page. And it was an article from the Reno Gazette Journal. And uh, it was a proposal to help uh, control the Mustang population. And uh, as we went into the, the Mustangs here a little bit yesterday, um, yeah, it's kind of a kind of a disaster. The the whole scene. It's uh, people have uh, lionized these uh, these Mustangs so much that they uh, you know you can't hardly do anything with them. Uh, because of the backlash. So, anyway, so rather than gathering them up and just doing a typical cull of the herd, like you would if you were a, you were a rancher <coughs> with your own herd, just get the old, sick, weak, uh, non-producing ones out, and uh, you know, then you can uh, you can continue on having a healthy herd. And uh, yeah, back here. Uh, Lori was wanting to run off on me a little bit. Uh, anyway, it just typical uh, common sense stuff. You, you call the, the ones you don't want, and then the other ones can thrive a little bit better. But now I can't do that because most likely the ones you call are going to go to slaughter, which they should, They're, unless like somebody just really wants to buy them. But that's the, the thing is a lot of people love these horses, but nobody wants to... Uh, to take care of them. There are very few people truly want to take care of them. So 
this proposal is to uh, to shoot these uh, these horses with a birth control hormone, which would, I'm guessing, and I haven't I didn't read the article because it was it was one of those paid sites from uh, you know a paywall deal, and I wasn't going to pay just to read this article, and uh, but I've read something similar to the that article before and uh and i don't recall the specifics but it's i would imagine you're gonna focus on the, the females the mares and uh and you would shoot them with what i would assume would be a progesterone uh variant and uh that would cause them to uh to not uh ovulate they, you know they're it would just halt their estrus cycle and really, therefore they couldn't breed. Now the the physical proposal in itself is not all that outlandish. Shooting them with a dart. I've used these dart guns to administer medicine before and they, they work. They're not 100% effective um, and they don't get 100% of the dosage that you that you put in the little uh, dart syringe because uh, you can as when you shoot one of those you can see the medicine uh, flying out the needle tip as it's you know as it's coming out the the rifle there and so they're not 100% effective and they're not you know you're not getting a full dose on them but the the hormones however while they're not 100% effective either they're they're highly effective uh, you know the beef industry and the dairy industry and uh, hogs everything even humans you know they use hormone therapy for reproduction uh you know all all the time i mean it, it's pretty fucking common and but the the part that gets me is how much is this going to cost as you know uh, i'm uh, sort of libertarian and uh and the federal government uh i don't know if they have ever paid fair market value on anything except maybe the Louisiana Purchase, uh, which uh, Jefferson basically stole from the French. But other than that, I don't know of a time that the federal government has uh, has paid a fair market value for anything. So, just to give you an idea, these darts typically cost from anywhere from oh. Uh, I would say probably three to five bucks a piece because the last time I, I did the med order when I was working for this the combined cow-calf operation, uh, I can't remember if it was a three-pack or a five-pack of these darts uh, were, and uh, we'll just say five cc's because that's a typical dose for a lutealize, which is a, a prostaglandin F2 alpha, which is not the hormone you'd be wanting to use, but but just going off a similar price point, I would imagine a progesterone would be pretty similar to that. And that would be uh, right. A typical dose is five cc's on, on cattle. So it'd be pretty similar to that on a horse, I'd imagine. So we're just gonna, we're just gonna spitball it at that, that number, five cc's per head. And, uh, and we'll call it, uh, We'll call it four bucks a dart, so nine dollars an animal to treat with this hormone birth control deal. And I don't know 
like how long lasting that is but if you don't know horses are uh, long day breeders so their their estrus cycle is controlled by the amount of sunlight there is or the, the length of the day so typically your your foals are born in spring and summer and uh so i don't so if you if you could get it to last four months uh you could probably uh you probably could do it once a year but then you so you're looking at nine dollars a year per animal uh of your hard-earned tax dollars uh going so about nine bucks a head a year for this deal if uh if it's a once a year shot i don't know maybe they can do a, a longer lasting one than that but i don't know the detail the specifics on that but that would be roughly about what I would call fair market value, give or take a little bit. I don't, I don't have the exact numbers, but that's that's a ballpark figure. So if you're looking at that, it's not doesn't seem all that outlandish until you bring the federal government in, and they, like I said, they've never paid fair market value for anything. There's stories of uh, the Reagan era where they were paying, like I think it was like 1,500 bucks for a hammer, a hammer, just a normal old either ball peen or a sledgehammer just maybe it was a claw hammer i don't know i'll have to tell you about my father-in-law's claw hammer massacre sometime but uh, that's a I'll, I'll tell that story a little later uh so anyway just a normal old hammer the federal government i believe it was the department of defense uh, uh paid about 1500 bucks for a hammer and uh so if you're looking at that, a hammer probably costs what, 10, 15 bucks, a good one. Uh, snap on, you're probably looking at like 30 or more. Um, so if you're buying tools, uh, the government should be paying, you know, Stanley or Craftsman type prices. But what the government does is get like stanley or craftsman quality tools and pay snap-on or mac type prices or even more so what you're getting is uh so what you'd be getting is uh, rather than a nine buck, nine dollar cost per head you'd probably be looking at 50 i i bet and that's just a, a random estimate but I, it's probably on the low side maybe on way on the low side of what it would actually cost just for the dart and the medicine let alone the manpower uh, and of course the bureaucracy involved behind it because you got to pay the bureaucrats so they uh, and they've got to find something to do to justify their job so you yeah it could be in the hundreds of dollars per head and then there's the fact that you've got to get close enough to these suckers to shoot them with this dart because you're not going to go all Chris Kyle on them and uh, and snipe them from a mile out uh, and unless they have that technology, which I guess wouldn't surprise me, but uh, anyway, it doesn't seem real feasible. And uh, yeah, because you can't round them up and uh, run them through a shoot and give them all a shot, which would make more sense. It would uh, be more cost effective, uh, but, but even though nothing about the whole deal is cost effective, but uh, yeah. It's a it's a ridiculous proposal, 
Um, but I, I, I won't be surprised at all if it gets enacted. And uh, But the best part was, like I said, I didn't read the article, but the comments were absolutely golden. Like, uh, all caps, LEAVE THE HORSES ALONE! Five exclamation points. And uh, this is their land. Well, no, it's not. They're, they're an invasive species. But anyhow, and, and they're animals. They are animals. But anyway, that was pretty goddamn funny, I thought. And uh, so go, go read the article for yourself. I'm sure there's other articles wrote about it. But, uh, maybe. I don't know. Call your, uh, call your congressman. Uh, they may not answer you unless you uh, just happen to have some, some money. If you mention a donation, I bet you they'll get back to you real fucking quick. But anyway... Uh, there's uh, yeah, one of your daily doses of lunacy from, uh, from government and politics. And uh, one little more little comment about this little proposal. I, uh, I suppose it's a very, very feminist and uh, forward progressive thinking to, uh, to use birth control on these mares because they are, they are I'm sure they're strong, independent women type horses that uh they don't need no man and uh they don't need need no babies uh so feminine uh horses for feminism maybe i'll start that as a, a troll account somewhere horses for feminism <laughs> let me know what you think about that one today's episode is brought to you by don't be a gunsel uh if you uh, make an acronym out of that, it'd be DBAG or DBAG. Uh, but Don't Be a Gunsel is a line of, uh, it's a clothing line and uh, just kind of some, some random cowboy related merchandise uh, catered towards the working cowboy who has a sense of humor. Uh, started by a Josh Williams, who is a buddy of my cousin Robbie, they were old rodeo partners, and uh, and I I think it's a pretty cool deal. I I wasn't real familiar with it, but I got off the phone with the guy, and he's a he's a stand-up dude. Sounds like a pretty good hand, and uh, I'd like to thank him for uh, supporting the show. Uh, we're gonna we're gonna move forward from here, hoping we can uh, spread a little humor throughout the cowboy and buckaroo world, and. Uh, and because of that, he's going to give us all a discount. Uh, so if you go to Don't Be a Gunsel on, uh, on Facebook and Instagram and Twitter, you can find him. And if you want to buy any of his merch, I suggest you do. You can, uh, you can use the promo code BURNINDAYLIGHT, B-U-R-N-I-N, DAYLIGHT, D-A-Y-L-I-G-H-T, all one word type in that promo code and uh you get yourself a little discount and uh help out uh an up-and-comer in the in the cowboy uh apparel and merchandise uh world and uh you can support both of us by doing that so that's uh don't be a gunsel promo code burning daylight Okay, so back to the Clawhammer Massacre. So my father-in-law was, uh, he, uh, is a, uh, 
heat, heating and air conditioning guy by trade, sheet metal uh, worker, and uh, he's a funny, funny bastard. He, he, he's really, he, and he's full of shit. I always tell people that when they meet him, I said you can never believe uh, a single thing he says because he is, uh, he loves to tell stories and he loves to just fuck with people. Uh, he gets, uh, he gets. I don't know how much joy he gets from it, but that's a lot. And uh, so he was, he was doing some construction work, uh, carpentry. I think they were putting in a bathroom at this uh, ranch in uh, well, it was north of Lamar, Colorado. I won't say the name, uh, but it's north of Lamar, Colorado, and he's putting in a bathroom. And this ranch had an intern from Nebraska that was going to going to school there at Lamar Community College. Uh, which is uh, has a pretty decent little uh, associates program for ag, uh, animal science, agriculture. Uh, they've got a horse training program that's uh, that's really well known and uh, respected. And so this kid was working there. I don't remember what his he was some sort of agricultural major, but and he was from Nebraska and he thought he was pretty pretty hot shit and. Uh, and not, not to talk down on Nebraska. I'm going to talk shit on probably every state in the country. I'll even talk shit on my uh, my beloved home state of Colorado uh, from time to time. So uh, don't don't get your panties in a wad in Nebraska. But anyway, this mostly is the kid thought he was pretty hot shit. And of course, my, my father-in-law, being the one to, to knock a guy down a peg or two, he... Uh, he give him a, a whole bunch of hell, and uh, you know, Nebraska. What the fuck has Nebraska ever contributed to the United States of America? Only steers and queers come from Nebraska, you know, and on and on. And uh, so this kid, he came in the, the shop uh, where where Steve, my father-in-law, was uh, putting in this bathroom, and. Uh, said he was a kind of a short little guy and they is a is in the middle of winter uh during cabin season and uh, i think this kid was night cabin maybe and uh so he comes he said he could see it through the shop doors you know the windows on the shop doors and you could barely see his hat his cowboy hat uh poking above it and uh so he uh they could tell he was coming in the shop so and he was all in a hurry about something. And uh, so my father-in-law just grabs a claw hammer because he was, uh, and he wasn't even using a nail in that project. It was all, all three-inch wood screws, which so he did not need a hammer in any way whatsoever. But he he grabs this claw hammer and starts just hammering on the table and just cussing. And he's like, "Son of a bitch, I'm gonna kill that motherfucker." And uh, just just going on and on, and this kid burst through the door right about the time, and you know he started doing that right as the kid walks through the door, just and said, <laughs> the kid's eyes got bigger and shit, and he's like, uh, uh, "Have you seen Bo?" And Bo was the was the foreman of that that ranch, and uh, and Steve he just slams the hammer down, and said, "Fuck Bo." So uh, okay, and he said, "I ain't going back to prison for this motherfucker if he wants to bury his own bodies." 
If he wants to bury a body, he can do it in his own goddamn self. I ain't gonna be no part of this claw hammer massacre. I ain't going back to prison. And he said that that kid went turned uh, white as a ghost and possibly pissed himself and uh, had never seen anybody backpedal so fast in his life. It was like the the Homer Simpson gif, gif, whatever you call it, that uh, where they back into the bushes, but on uh, you know on rocket boosters. And, and then Steve calmly puts down the claw hammer and uh, continues on his day. And I, he still talks about that to this day. And it's kind of the inside joke around around my family circles. Uh, well, uh, don't don't get caught up in the in a claw hammer massacre. <laughs> so uh, I'll uh, you'll be hearing some more uh, more stories from father-in-law Steve uh, he's got some pretty good ones so my uh, cousin was giving me shit I think I mentioned that already about not telling enough stories and I uh, needed to add a little humor to the, the podcast and uh, so when I was up in Montana working on this outfit uh, Come springtime, we went to went to go build some fence, and uh, on uh, this pasture uh, they called a coal mine coulee. And uh, I honestly, it took me a good. Uh, I I was only up in Montana for about four months, I believe, and and it took me most of that time to figure out that a coulee was just a draw or a gulch or an arroya. Uh, as you know or yeah just a a waller even Uh, but so I uh, that far up north you know a lot of the guys kind of kind of get a a Canadian accent don't you know and uh, they uh, they kind of say sorry and a boot and uh, you know the the, they 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 feed their cows in in a feed wagon and uh so they uh I was told to go uh prowl this uh prowl this pasture and they said uh and the guy that that was the foreman he was from uh I think from Minnesota so he really had a had a a goofy accent don't you know and he said uh no no go go check them cows and uh make sure Make sure you uh, you double check that uh, that little juniper coolie over there, and uh, and he just vaguely pointed in a direction, and I said, uh, okay, and not to be the one that uh, uh, at the time I've got a lot better now that just admitting when I don't know something uh, instead of trying to trying to fake it till you make it, I guess. Uh, so I didn't know what the fuck a coolie was, and uh, so I, but I said, "Yes, sir, I can do that." And uh, it looked like a search party. I, I was a search party when I when I prowled that pasture. I covered every little bit of it, and uh, I didn't know till months later if I'd ever actually checked that juniper coolie, but uh, or I didn't know where it was, but I knew damn sure that I had checked it. So. Anyway, I found out a little later. I I talked to another guy. And I, that was uh, 
he was from eastern Kansas, I believe. And um, I said, what the fuck is a coolie? And he's like, oh, it's like a, like a little draw. And I said, well, why don't they say draw? And he said, if you had told them to go check the draw, they wouldn't know what the fuck you're talking about either. Well, fair enough. Fair enough. So, anyway, we, I was building fence and uh, coal mine coolie just going around checking. You know, it was after winter. They, had, they got quite a lot of elk up there, and uh, and they tear the shit out of fences. And I, I'd built a lot of fence in my lifetime at that point, and I, I knew what I was doing, but I'd never built uh, fence in mountain pasture ever. And because I'm, I'm from the Great Plains, there, uh, we've got one mountain in the county I'm from, and it's uh, it's actually a Butte, two Buttes, Colorado, and. Uh, yeah, you're out there uh, flat as flat as can be. Maybe some rolling, kind of rolling hills. Uh, and then all of a sudden, there's a little uh, little mountain with two peaks. Uh, and so it's called Two Buttes because I guess it's not a mountain; it's a peak, uh, butte. So I uh, building fence in the mountain pastures was a whole different deal. And uh, I mean, you had uh, you had your wire stapled to a tree and then of course the tree would grow around the wire and it brought out so then you'd you'd have you'd splice at the same spot every year it looked like and uh, you could see a whole bunch of old splices hanging off there and uh, and uh, yeah so it was a uh, it was a little bit of a learning experience building building fence in the in the mountains and uh, so I uh, but it was one another one of those scenarios where I was by myself uh, it was me and uh, at that time I think I was on a four wheeler. I didn't. I was able to get to it uh, on a four wheeler. I didn't have to to ride a horse up through there. So, but I was out there by myself, uh, mind wandering as it tends to do, and uh, I had to fix this water gap. And uh, so I went and found. I couldn't find a, a very big rock that uh you know a big enough rock to just hold it down so i got two small uh smaller rocks i mean they were they were still pretty big but i wanted to make sure that you know it was it was that water gap was sure fixed so i uh i put those uh those two rocks on there and i wired them up and uh and i put the the fence stay in there and uh i was like <laughs> I I wonder if I put those and I, I had them had those rocks spaced out a little bit. I was like, I should I should put those rocks right together, and I'll use my instead of a fence stay. I'm gonna put an actual fence post in there, cedar fence post in there. And so I did, and uh, sure enough, uh, some ranch. I don't know if it's still up there. I hope so. But there's a there's a ranch up in Montana that's got a cocking balls for their water gap and. Uh, I think about that from time to time, and it makes me chuckle still. Still, that was 10 years ago, and uh, I laugh my ass off. All right, folks, I think I'm going to wrap there for this episode. I may record a little bit more later and maybe even put out another one today, but I think that'll do it for this one. Seemed like a good place to call her quits, and... Uh, I really sincerely thank you guys for all your support and uh, the activity I've been getting here the last couple days. And uh, uh, 
I, it means a lot, so I appreciate it. And uh, so, that being said, go find me on Twitter and Instagram at mickermac85, M I C K E R M A C K 85. Uh, follow the, the show page on Instagram at burning daylight. No G, just B U R N I N, daylight. Uh, find me Matt McKinley on Facebook and then Burning Daylight on Spotify and Anchor hopefully on Apple here pretty quick and uh, and then you'll I'll be everywhere everywhere and nowhere at the same time or something whatever and uh, so as a shout out to my uh, my Canadian listeners we're going to get another dose of core blunt today so that's it for me. Move your ass, we're burning daylight. Chev got stuck in the Ford, got stuck with the Chevron, stuck when the Dodge showed up. But the Dodge got stuck in the tractor rut, which eventually pulled out the Ford. With some difficulty. Well, more rain than we'd seen for a thousand years caused financial joys and biblical fears. It caused some smiles, it caused some tears, but more to the point of our story. For the first time in the collective memory, that old brown prairie that had been so dry for so long was very muddy. Boggy and sticky We'd pull one truck out And get another stuck in And motors would roar And tires would spin We'd sink right down Down to the diff And we'd all take turns Do it again Till no one could move We'd call one more friend Come on out here We need you Bring your truck Chip got stuck in the Ford Got stuck in the Chevron Stuck when the Dodge showed up But the Dodge got stuck in The tractor rut Which eventually pulled out the Ford and the Dodge. They got me stuck in the mud so I couldn't rehearse. And Chavez, too, has missed his work. Richie, he now fears the worst. He stood up his ex-wife. She called him a jerk. Of course, Holman didn't have nothing better to do. Except ranch. Chip got stuck in the board, got stuck in the Chevron, stuck when the Dodge showed up. But the Dodge got stuck in the tractor rope, which eventually pulled out the Ford. Well, it was truck after truck, we all got stuck. Except the big old four by a hundred eye truck. We all thought, Lord, are we in luck? But he wouldn't come anywhere near us. Mighty neighborly. Mighty neighborly. So we used a lot of our backs and a little of our brains. We jacked up the jacks and snugged up the chains. We all did our very best to refrain from shoveling. We put what timber we had underneath the wheels And we was all out of sand but managed to steal Two sacks of the best modern canola seed you ever did see That ought to give us some traction Chip got stuck in the board, got stuck in the Chevron Stuck when the Dodge showed up But the Dodge got stuck in the tractor rut Which eventually pulled out the Ford Epilogue We'd build genetically modified canola seed that was genetically modified for controlling the weeds of a big old yield of margin oil and raised hell all over that native prairie soil. Agriculture Canada is definitely going to be looking for us. 